Hello and welcome to the Game Republic podcast, supported by Autodesk. I'm Jamie Sefton, welcome to this second Game Republic podcast. In this episode, I interview Dr Joe Twist, OBE. Joe is the CEO of Yuki, which is the National Video Games representative body. And Joe does uh, an amazing job. Uh, she's a fantastic spokesperson for the games industry. But... I'd never really had a chance to chat to Jo about her career, uh, her OBE, and even her favourite games. I'd never really asked her about that. So myself and Jo had an opportunity to meet up in late August at Gamescom in Cologne, which is uh, a massive video games event, 100,000 plus people, and there's a big trade industry a bit of Gamescom as well and we managed to find a place outside which was a little less noisy than the main halls and we chatted about her early career, the fantastic tax breaks that are now in the UK, obviously the dreaded B-word Brexit and had some really interesting uh, conversations there about um, what the government uh, feel about it as well and um, we also reveal the best, I think, the best DLC name ever. It's a little noisy in places, this podcast, as we are outside. There's uh, quite a strong wind at certain points. Uh, Not either of us, I may add. Um, But hopefully you'll still enjoy this chat. So here we go with Dr. Joe Twist, OBE. Thank you for doing this uh, podcast. You're welcome. Uh, we're here at Gamescom in Cologne, and uh, I mean, it's just huge. The, the last time I was in um, at Gamescom, it was over ten years ago when it was in Leipzig, and I mean, it must be ten times the size that it was then. Yeah. The scale of it is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely crazy, and it's something like three hundred and fifty thousand people expected um, over the, the the few days. And it is just, it's so amazing to see. But we don't get to go out as Yuki. We don't get to go out in the business hall, really. No. <laughs> and if you go out into the consumer hall, you yeah. just, good luck getting back. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I just went out yesterday and it was, it's not even the public day yesterday and it was still enormously busy. Yeah. So, I mean, it must be just crazy when you get like hundreds of thousands of people in there. And it's just fantastic. I mean, what an amazing event to have in Europe. Yes. Yeah. And it really is, you know, it rivals. We, we were in China with Trade Mission yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago at China Joy. And that is like looking out on Stansted Airport or maybe Luton Airport. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I think they get about 150,000 a day. Wow. But it's so fantastic. I mean, that's a huge market, China. Yeah. So it's yeah. so amazing to have such a big event um, for consumers and for trade mm. in Europe. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously we're here uh, as well, and you're representing with a Z, um, yeah. the, the UK. Uh, with the Yuki stand, and uh, I mean that's great. It's great to see all the uh, British companies there um, doing well, having loads of meetings. I mean, we were there this morning, and there was people queuing up to, to get in. I mean that's yeah, that's great, it, isn't it? It's amazing. It shows I mean, that even despite certain political things that are happening, 
there's still a great hunger to, to, to meet British companies. Absolutely, and you, you just get that sense of identity and that sense of uh, our Britishness and quirkiness yeah, and yeah. diversity, really, when you come to the UK stand. I mean, we've grown it from, I think the first year we did it in 2012, we had under 20 companies and we've now got over 85 companies and it's 700 square meters to stand um, so it's really I don't think we can get any bigger unless we take over an entire hall yeah and that, that's the goal um, yeah yeah but you know amazing yeah but it is great because it is like collectively waving that flag for the yeah. UK yeah and everyone recognizes our experience our heritage in making games I think there's still a perception that we're all console game makers which is weird yeah the Europeans yeah. seem to think that's what, but that's because you know we started. We, we do well, we have had a huge great... success with exactly. obviously in the early days of Tomb Raider and those sort of games, and obviously well before that in the eighties when we were doing Hunger Games stuff. So yeah, yeah. But, but obviously mobile is a is a massive part of exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, PC games and yeah. yeah. Three quarters of the um, companies in the UK are doing mobile games, yeah. and in fact, this was a study about three years ago that said that out of the we have the most jobs in mobile games. As the UK, really? compared oh, to the whole of, of, of Europe. Wow, that's, that's, I didn't know that. Yeah. Really interesting. It's like over five thousand jobs in mobile. So, wow. you know, I think there's there's this perception, but uh, you know, because we've got such a longevity and such a short, uh, young industry. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have moved from platform to platform, and yeah. that's what makes us great. And it's it's nice, obviously, um, you know, with. Um, Game Republic companies based in Yorkshire in the north. We've got uh, Team 17 yeah. here as well, and, and uh, Revolution as well. Yeah. Um, so it's it's great to see those those companies there as well. Yeah, it's fantastic, well. and it just reflects the, the fact that you know the thing that we know about the games industry in the UK is that it's not in London. You know, yes. there's lots of companies in London, but it's clustered around the country. Yeah. yeah and exactly. that's such a, a a benefit, I think. It's yeah. such a, an amazing thing, especially again when you you know, go to bigger land masses, let's say, because <laughs> uh, we are a small island. Yeah. Really, are, yeah, you know, yeah. so the amount of creativity coming out of our little island is mm. brilliant. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's fantastic. We've got um, a whole cluster of companies on the stands uh, representing Wales. We've got a whole cluster representing Northern Ireland. We try and get the Scottish back. I am Scottish. Yeah. We try and get the Scottish back every year. They where did whiskey. The, where are the Scottish? Have they got well, their own stands? They used to they have because, yeah, the Scottish government basically funded the entirety of that stand oh, right. and people's See. travel costs. Right, right. Um, UK government doesn't do that uh, oh, right. okay. with companies at right. Gamescom. So we, we they give um, 17 grants mm. out for exhibitors uh, in the UK, which we handle. Um, but we've got 85 companies, so you know, the stand is industry funded, which yes. is amazing. Yeah, it shows the, the appetite wow. for doing this. So, um, it's great to sort of get you here and talk about, um, about Yuki and about uh, Gamescom, but I wanted to ask you a bit about your early career because I, I really don't know much about what you got up to. So, so how, how did you, what was your kind of path to getting into games? You know, how did you start out? Did you start out with a kind of passion for games or? I always had a passion for stories. Right. Um, I, I loved writing stories uh, as a kid and I think I was I was brought up in Hong Kong. Right. I was okay. born yeah, there. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. So. And, you know, in the 70s in Hong Kong, it was an expatriate community, mm. but we got a lot of Japanese influence, a lot of shiny things and <laughs> miniature things and yeah. anime and manga. So I was always um, quite a Japanophile. Mm. Um, but 
my first game was Pong, yeah. age five, in 1978. Fantastic. Uh, because my opticians told my parents I had a really bad squint. Right. And I had to wear glasses. And the optician in Hong Kong told my parents to get this new thing. And he recommended getting Pong really? and playing it, covering up my good eye and playing it with my squint eye. And uh, that, that, that meant I didn't have to wear a plaster over my glasses for anyone who's old enough listening to this. Yes. That used to happen in the 70s. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, so, so storytelling and, and worlds. I love inhabiting mm. different kinds mm. of worlds. So that was always my um, uh, kind of thing I loved. But I think like a lot of people in the games industry and just a lot of people in jobs generally, you sort of find your way. Mm. Mm. And I, I actually ended up doing a... Um, doctorate, a PhD, mm. in online communities, virtual communities, young people and identity mm. in the late 90s. And I didn't know what to do with it. I was a massive fan of sci-fi. So I was imagining this, you know, disembodied future where you upload yourself and that's what the internet will be. <laughs> We're almost there. Yeah, we uh, are. Yeah, exactly. Lawnmower man. Exactly. You know, oh, my God, yeah. Fibre optic cable. And, exactly. That's yeah, my inhabit. will. It's in my will. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I ended up doing that and I didn't really know what to do with it because I finished it in 2000, which mm. was right at the wrong time <laughs> uh, for anything internet related. Yes. And yeah. I ended up... Uh, falling into journalism. Right. So BBC Newsround was looking for um, some producers to be their first web team. So obviously yeah. Newsround, for those of you who don't know, is a UK uh, kids news program. Yeah. And it's usually about eight minutes long. So there were three of us who were the first integrated news team at BBC. Fantastic. And we were doing coverage, uh, lots of different stories, not just ones that appeared on the eight minute show from 6.30 in the morning till 10 p.m. at night, uh, 365 days of the year. Fantastic. Yeah, and then I went into tech journalism, yeah, grown-up yeah. journalism, then I fell into commissioning. Right. So okay, I was yeah. in charge of £4 million budget. Was that at the BBC? That was at the oh, BBC. Oh, wow. okay. okay. Um, where I was multi-platform entertainment commissioner, but I was not allowed to commission games. Right. And that really annoyed me. Yeah. That must have been. It was very. It was like strange. pushing treacle up a hill. Yeah. You say. Yeah. Well, I think you know, it's still the case that BBC has the public service bit and then the commercial arm yes. that makes money for BBC, and they very much saw games as a commercial thing. Yes. Like yeah. magazines. Yeah. Whereas, and this was before the days of free to play, really, and you know, I, I sort of debated that because I, you know, there was a whole bunch of us who believed that games can be a public service format. Absolutely. I mean, of course they can. So, you know, I think the BBC is still struggling with that. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I fell into commissioning um, and I ended up at Channel 4 um, commissioning uh, education. Yes. Which was great because I didn't have digital or multi-platform in my job title. Right. It was just, I'm commissioning content experiences stuff. Brilliant. Brilliant. So it just... Yeah, because there was some fantastic, innovative uh, sort of dance uh, games. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, private. Size 5. Size 5 games. Yeah. Uh, so Alice Taylor, who was there at the time um, as commissioner, she, she commissioned privates and it won a BAFTA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, privates uh, was, if you want to come oh, and say what it, it is. It was like it's... Call of Duty in the Vagina. <laughs> yes. Is that, is that, was that the elevator pitch? That was the elevator pitch. <laughs> is that how uh, Dan uh, like, pitched it to you? I can't remember, but we, we did refer to it as Call of Duty in the Vagina. I remember him saying it, but I don't know if that's what he pitched. Yeah, when I joined, yeah. uh, it had already um, uh, uh, been commissioned and it was uh, released. 
but uh, we got quite a lot of complaints right. about the okay. fact that we were demonising women's genitalia. Oh, right, okay. So I was in charge of the DLC, which was the penis level. <laughs> Just to kind of even things out. Exactly, yeah, 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 equal yeah. opportunities. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was, it was basically a sex education game, so yeah, you had to choose great. your weapon depending on what... Um, virus or what infection or exactly yeah, it was yeah. really good yeah, these I games are yeah. fantastic at yeah. teaching you anything yeah no, exactly <laughs> at yeah. least you know we had a whole generation of boys who could spell gonorrhea <laughs> My favourite one was Sweatshop, so that was the one that I fully commissioned from start to end, um, and that was made by Little Loud Studios, which is now sadly um, closed mm. down, a Brighton-based mm. studio, and that was just fantastic because it was a top-down tower defence or tower offence yes. game, and uh, Apple banned it. Wow. Yeah. Because it was about sweatshops, right? So it's because it's political content. Yeah. yeah, and they still have this in their, their developer mm. guidelines, mm. which I fundamentally disagree with. Mm. Because they don't treat games as a way to make political comment or. Right, so from there, did you just was it from there you made the, the jump to, to you? Yeah, I had a few a few kind of things. That's the short version, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, I was. I was uh, <laughs> Skip to the end. Skip to the end. I was approached about this job in 2011, mm. and I thought a trade association sounds like where you go to die. <laughs> Wood uh, panelled rooms. Exactly, full of tobacco stained walls. Men burbling on for hours. Exactly, and and it was yeah. very like that. <clears throat> oh right. <laughs> 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 no, it was not like that. Um, but essentially, uh, Yuki um, used to be called Elspa, and yes. obviously that reflected the way that the industry, the business models were. There was a publisher-developer exactly. split, wasn't there? Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah. the haves and, it was, and the have-nots. Exactly, and it was definitely <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, but that was just a reflection of the way that the industry works, especially in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in about 2010-11, uh, Elspa rebranded, and, and it was Andy Payne, actually, one of the driving forces who recognised that, look, you know, we need to represent the whole ecosystem. Yes. So Elspa rebranded to Yuki, UK Interactive Entertainment, and I was bought, I started in January of 2012, and basically I had to invent new things that Yuki could do for yeah. the whole ecosystem. Brilliant. And six years later, hopefully, we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's what do you think is what you're most proud of with with UQ? What's the thing, the defining thing? Do you think that you've you've managed to? Well, of course, I take all the credit for <laughs> arriving just when the Next Gen <laughs> Skills campaign actually yeah. had success. In yeah. it was a real kind of campaign that collected, um, of, of course, games companies, but companies like Google, um, all sorts of companies across different sectors who really realised that we were teaching kids how to read technology and not write technology. Yeah, yeah. And we were teaching kids to be programmed and not programmers, yeah. um, which is Douglas Rushkoff's thing. Yes, um, but yeah. I think the Next Gen Skills campaign, um, so that was very successful in getting computer science back onto the school curriculum. 
and of course I took all the credits. Um, <laughs> but it was a it was it was spearheaded by Ian Livingston and Alex yeah. Hope from, from That's Double right. Negative. Yeah, that report. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I think that was a fundamental change. And then of course getting the tax credits green lit. Yeah. That had been a very very long journey by a whole bunch of people, and Tiger was set up specifically to lobby for yeah. tax credits. I remember interviewing Tiger when I was a journalist in the wow. early two thousands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know there was a very difficult case to make to Europe um, because we were trying to prove something it was kind of invisible but that yes. was the whole point yes. we were trying to prove a market failure in culturally British or European games yeah, yeah. so what we were trying to do is get the evidence to say look you know so there's big developers in the UK who in the past and probably still is sometimes the case um, because they're global products that we make would have to change a, an accent with one of the characters to an American accent, for mm. instance, because it had to appeal to a North American audience or a global audience. Yeah. And and that sounds really minor, but it's actually really important. Yeah. yeah. So the the tax credits um, really were showing that actually it's okay to have British accents <laughs> yes. or different kinds of accents yeah. and yeah. different kinds of stories and and characters. So essentially, we just had to prove to Europe as an industry that it does matter where you are, mm. where you're located, is is important. They kind of assume that computers make games, not humans. Yeah. That yeah. humans make games with computers. Yeah. I was talking to um, somebody who works in who works in Australia mm. for an Australian developer and they said they don't have tax breaks. And he said it's making such a huge difference to their business because they're getting uh, office for work and say, well, can you set up a studio in the UK because it means that we can access your tax credits. Fantastic. Which is, you know, amazing to hear, but it's also, you know, it's like, it, it just shows how, how important it is and with those decisions also by, by larger companies where they're going to make their, you know, film or games or whatever, to have those tax breaks, it's absolutely vital, isn't it? It does make a such a big difference and, and we, we're, we're going to, we're waiting eagerly for some new figures coming out very soon yeah. um, that looks at the economic impacts of the tax credit because people, when you say tax, obviously that brings a lot of uh, ah, tax. Mm. Um, people aren't used to the to HMRC or the tax office giving you money, yeah. and they do do that. Um, <laughs> they, they, they're also they sometimes people kind of get suspicious and think there's some kind of tax evasion. You know, people just don't really understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's important because these new figures that hopefully will come out in the next few weeks will show, like the film industry, for instance. For every pound in tax credit in the film industry that's given out to film companies who make yeah. their, their films in the UK, it delivers £12 back to the UK economy. So yeah. it's an investment by the UK government. And so it, and we fought really hard to make sure that the tax credit system was really competitive. Yes. And you don't have the same barriers to accessing it as you do in other jurisdictions. So everyone talks about the Canadian tax credits that's all controlled at provincial level as well as state level and you know it's very or federal level it, whatever it's called in Canada um, but it's yeah. very different you know and, yeah. and I think no matter what your budget size is there's no minimum budget no. so if you are making a game in the UK even if you're a single person studio and you're set up as a business 
you should be applying for your tax yeah, credit. Yeah, it's so important to get that message across. And the BFI are doing a great job as well in getting that message across as well, aren't they? So. The, the, the accreditation team led by yeah. Anna Mansi there yeah, is fantastic. fantastic yeah. Really, really good. And they're there to help. They want you to pass the cultural test, yes. which is what you have to pass. Yeah, exactly. It's really easy. Yeah. I, I always find it funny because with the cultural tests, and this is a legal thing that you have to do, but um, you only have to get 16 out of 31 points. But we're the games industry, we want to get high score. <laughs>
how can I put this in a in a in a way that's not going to offend? <laughs> I'm very frustrated that we really haven't got much clarity. Um, we're what seven months away, six months away from a potential cliff edge. Um, the two main concerns for the game sector are people and being able to hire the best from wherever they are. Yes. And we know that 61% of games companies in the UK hire international talent, 57% hire European Union uh, citizens, and that typically makes up about a third of studios or companies. So it's really important. It's also important for our creativity and innovation because you need diversity. Absolutely. We are a diverse country. And so, when you're dealing with any kind of creative pro uh, product or innovative product, you need diversity. You need people who can see from different perspectives. So they absolutely get it. That's not a hard question to answer. Mm. What's going on? That is a harder question. Yes. Yeah. And I think you know we're we're we're, we're approaching um, September. Yes. When. We are hoping to get a little bit more clarity, but literally if we fall off a cliff edge, there'll be things like, I don't think it would be a, a, an immediate impact necessarily mm. on talent. Mm. I worry about data flows. Yes. So the legal basis upon which we can transfer data <laughs> of any kind, not just personal data, but data of any kind across borders, it's a really, really complex, and it's again, it sounds quite minor. Yeah. We as an industry absolutely rely on real-time data. Absolutely. And yeah. that, and then, you know, that that's just the games industry. I mean, could it be feasible that if we did have a hard Brexit, that Steam say, well, until the legal situation sorted out, we're not going to um, publish any games that are, you know, in in the UK. I mean, I think that would be absolute nightmare, worst-case scenario. Um, but. Steam have done that with uh, loot boxes in Holland. They, you know, we, we are a digital economy. We can switch things on and off. Exactly. It's not like they have to, um, you know, they just press a button. And exactly. And what we've been pressing to government is all of that evidence yes. and that those scenarios, I think, are now the important stage. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, campaign groups like Games for EU is, yeah. or Games for You. I don't know, Games for EU? Games for EU. Games for You. Well, that's what I thought it was, didn't Yeah, I think it is Games for EU. EU. <laughs> <laughs> Slight slur on yeah. yeah, Games for EU. <laughs> Uh, three days of games car. Yeah, that's how it feels. Now. Exactly. Um, but I think, you know, campaign pressure groups like that, it's really good to galvanise people around that scenario building, which is so. if yeah. this, then that. Yeah, I think, and uh, I think it's great there is games for you, but, uh, and we've had these conversations with them, and I think we need more evidence. We need that evidence that will help make the case. And I think that um, the more we can, we can present that to government, then. I am obsessed with evidence. So yeah. I was an academic. I, I just noticed how you just re, you reel off these figures. Oh yeah, I love it because that that's my. You can fight any battle with evidence. Yeah, and this you is could, what I found is that yeah. if you haven't got any evidence, you, I mean, what can you do? Yeah, and my my so my uh, you know my, my my training in my early kind of career was all about it was academia. I did a PhD. I yeah. did a master. I did three degrees. Yeah. Uh, not 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 the not the band. <laughs> Um, and I was eight years a student, and that was really training me to think and really to get critical thinking yes. skills, to understand evidence, to present evidence because you have to be original. Then, as a journalist, it was even better training. Yeah, because yeah. especially working at BBC, because there was an integrity there, yes. um, yeah. which was you know right. 
questioning the source of the, the, yeah. the story. Who sent this press release? Why is this a press release? Exactly. Whose news is this? Is this the brand behind it? You know. So asking those questions, my parents used to really get annoyed with me, even as a young child. <laughs> Um, they, they would always argue that I could. Uh, 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 they would always say that I could argue black as white. <laughs> I, I did want to be a barrister in yeah. my early career, um, but I love evidence, yes. you know, and, and that's what we need. Especially when you can then say this, then ultimately will be the economic impact. Because what they care about, what they should care about, government is economics and opportunity for everyone. Yes, you know, giving people education and opportunity. Um, and jobs mm. gets us out of all sorts of situations yes. in life. Yeah. Um, what I fear is that politics gets in the way of that. Mm. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm hopeful that we will have some kind of clarity very soon. Because at the moment, it just seems like if you ask a question, you get platitudes. You get, well, Brexit will be an opportunity for the UK. Or, you know, you, you get something that is kind of meaningless. So what we need to do is to say, what will happen if we, you know, like with steam? Yeah. This will be the economic impact. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Because, no. because it's, it's this kind of... It'll be all right. Yeah, you it'll know. be all right, it'll be fine. Yeah. Kind of attitude, which is, which is, is kind of, is the most worrying for me. It's, it, it could be hugely damaging. It's almost like sleepwalking into a... A national disaster. Mm. So it really needs to be. They, they need to understand that this will be. This is the impact. And I feel that the people push it on the, you know, in, in the Conservative Party and some from Labour pushing for a, a clean break with the EU, do not understand the economic implications yeah. of that. I, I think, I think it's that's driven a, by ideology rather than driven by what's best for the country. Absolutely. But on the flip side, so I did um, cultural geography as my degree. Yes. And I, I did it at Edinburgh, and it was the seat of the Enlightenment period. And I actually did a, one of my master's essays was about, um, it, this is in the 90s, about early search engines. Mm. And I compared them to the endeavor of the encyclopedia of the world. So when we were going out during the Enlightenment and we were discovering, before that, but discovering the world and mapping it and ordering it and naming it and the way that you had, you know, it was a very Eurocentric view, you yes. know, in terms of cartographers, yeah, yeah. Eurocentric view of the world, because that was the seat of power at that yes, time. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this. I'm yeah. fascinated by how we evolve with power, with how that translates to uh, kind of identity politics mm, mm. and I think just globally if you look at the geopolitical situation there is disruption everywhere mm, mm. so it's not just a kind of European Union issue mm. there is and I, I, I think that we are at the beginning of um, a little bit of a seismic 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 yeah. was the thing that Twitter bought seismic shift <laughs> seismic shift I should know that I'm a geographer <laughs> in our sort of global plate tectonics, if you like, yeah. of politics. Because yeah, yeah. it's not just us uh, as, as, as the UK voting um, to leave Europe by a very small margin mm. because we were feeling disenfranchised. Yes. Um, it, there are 
people feeling disenfranchised all over the world. Yes. And I think it's going to be a really interesting next kind of 50 years. Yeah. Hopefully we will have colonised Mars by then. Yes. Or fix that NASA. upload. Yeah. Well, they, oh, amazing. I've, I've seen the launch pad for Mars. It's so exciting. Awesome. Have they got the fibre optic cable that I can upload myself? Yeah. Yeah. Just get so there we'll just, ahead. Yeah, we'll of, get there. Yeah. We'll be okay. fine. Good. Yeah, we can sort that out for you. But I, but I do think it's really interesting times politically. Yeah. It's very unsettling for people. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when you know how human nature is and animal nature, when things are unsettling, people tend to close in. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's when where danger lies. Yes. Because, I mean, because you don't you don't sort of flag it up very much, and I think I think it's because you're you know you're a modest person, you don't like saying, but that's an incredible achievement. I mean, you yeah. must have been so proud. Of that. I was. Um, my mother would have been really proud. She always used to hate the honor system, <laughs> and she used to say other buggers have hurts and all that, and she hated it. She went, who's this person getting an honor? You know. Unfortunately, she died about 10 years ago, so she didn't even see me go to Channel 4, and she was a teacher in education. So, mostly I was just really proud, because she would have been so proud. Um, but it was a complete shock, and these things, they're just so weird. And I actually got it for contribution to creative industries, not not, not, not games, games or yeah. economy, oh, right. you know, okay. so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, contribution for creative uh, to creative industries. That's fantastic. And I guess... It is. It's a huge honour. Mm. Um, it doesn't get me in the fast track lane at airports. <laughs> Can't you say? Have you ever thought about pulling that to get an upgrade? Do you know, I've airplane? thought about it. I mean, I, I could use my my doctor as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then I mean, I'm afraid on a plane. You know, yeah. it's like, is there a doctor on board? Oh, I'm really sorry. I can yeah. only tell you about online communities <laughs> from the nineties. <90s. laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're flailing around, yeah. and you're saying, "Look, this is the, this is policy for creativity." <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. Us. Come on, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it, it was amazing, and it was a. I've got very small family, so it was yeah. just really these occasions. You know, I'm 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 probably never going to get married. Um, I uh, never say never. Jill. Never say never. You know, if anyone's out there, uh, no, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but you know, when, when Mum died, it was really interesting because I realised that funerals and weddings are the only things that people really ever turn up to. Mm, mm, you know, mm. they don't come to your fortieth. I mean, they come, but you know, it's like oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, but funerals and weddings, yeah. and at your funeral, you're not there yeah. to see. Enjoy. So OBE is the next best thing. It is, yeah, because yeah, it's really good. Well, it was more like the wedding than the funeral, just to be clear. Dying. Exactly, it was better than dying. <laughs> OBEs, better than dying. Oh, brilliant. Um, so, yeah, one thing I want to ask you, because um, I didn't want to just ask you because you're a woman, but um, <laughs> are we getting there regarding kind of diversity in the industry? Do you think we're getting better at it? I think we're so much more aware. Yeah. Especially when you go and sit down around a lunch table with the gambling industry or the car industry or other industries. They are quite behind us. Right. I think the good thing about the games industry is that we are very aware. Um, we are aware of the arguments about um, creativity and innovation being driven by diversity in different perspectives. I mean, yeah, you've yeah. seen that with um, what King did with Candy Crush. You know, it's hilarious. These people who say, 
women don't play games. Yes, women play games. Yes, yeah. um, women play all sorts of games. Not all women are the same. Not all men are the same. Not all unidentifying people are the same. Yeah. So, so we're all very different in what we like to do, and there is a huge market there still untapped for different kinds of games. Which, mm. like I say, you know, Candy Crush, Facebook games in the early days did really well. Um, I think. <laughs> The benefit that we have is that we are only 40-something years old as an industry. Mm. So we're sort of dealing with issues as we encounter them. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a benefit. We're not so entrenched, no. apart from how we're entrenched as society, full yes. stop, which yeah. is still yeah. largely yeah. unequal. Yes. Yeah. But you I look at the pay gap and things like that. Gender pay gap is a real yeah. nightmare. I mean, do you... Do you um, at Yuki, are you very conscious of that? And yeah. Making sure that, you know, for, you know, across the board, that yeah. you kind of, you know, you're making sure that you're paying people yes. the same for the same level of work. Oh, absolutely. We've got very flat structure as well, yeah. and we're a small team, really a core team of 11. We have four, four part-time, uh, four, three part-time workers now um, who work remotely, one of whom is retired, mm. um, two of whom have kids. You know, it's, it's not a... It's something I'm constantly mindful of, yeah. and even you know that there is really good advice about uh, out there about best practice in recruitment. Yeah. So I've changed all our job ads and job descriptions so that right. they're no longer bullet points. They're no longer they're they're much more inclusive, and it's a real art. Yes. And and you see the difference of the kinds of candidates that then apply for the job. Mm. We all know it's not just a stereotype. Um, I'm trying to get more diversity on our board. We're at 25% female representation, but we're mm. very poor in terms of other diversity indicators. Mm. But I know what it's like. You approach someone and say, please, can you put yourself up for board election? 99% of the time, women will say, mm. I don't know if I can give you the commitment that you need. 99% of the time, men will say, yeah, I'll do it. Yep. Yeah, even, even thinking... I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> no one knows if they can do this. Exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, that's what life is about. You yeah. know, I never trained to be a CEO. I was making yeah. it up as I go along. Yeah, I, I, I think that's so true. I think that we're all winging it. And it's how good you exactly. are at winging it. Exactly. <laughs> and it's all about that, you know, confidence. And then, yeah. and that's where evidence is really good. Because yes. yeah, you yeah. listen to people, you talk to people, you understand. Yeah. And that's all, that's, that's all anyone can do. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think we are much better. I'm really interested in neurodiversity in the games industry. Mm. Um, I'm the government's disability champion for, right, for games, okay. apparently. I didn't that. Well, no, I did, no, I did realise that. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we all know Special Effect, who yeah, they're, um, they're amazing. They're out here at Gamescom. Yeah. Uh, they're just relentless, they really are. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah, they're great. But, you know, I think there's a lot of work to be done around hidden disabilities. Yes. So, neurodiversity is a big issue for me because I've experienced it and experienced it people in my life, um, people in, in, in workplaces that I've been in where we are all on a spectrum. Yes. And we know that there, there, there are quite a lot of people working in the games industry that are neurodiverse, mm. but um, we don't really, we're sort of learning how to deal with that. Mm. And sometimes that means looking upon ourselves, you know, because yeah, we're neurodiverse. Yeah. So, it's a really interesting area, diversity, because I remember, um, well, I've always argued that, this was me, but I don't, you know, it's not just a woman thing. No. no diversity no. is intersectional, and it's, um, like I say, not all white middle-aged women like me are the same. No. Otherwise, I'd be friends with all of them. <laughs> yes. 
No, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> you should be friends with people who you disagree with. Yeah. But exactly. you know, diversity is such a complex thing. So I think we are getting better. I think. And mental problem. health as well, like mental health I think is over so the last linked. couple of years, particularly, I think I've oh. seen a real sea change in that. I think yeah. people have been talking more openly about it, and we've had like talks at GDC, and yeah. you know, and it's it seems that people are more ac accepting that people Absolutely. you know have had problems and that it it's fine, yeah. and you can get help, and it's you know it's not something to be ashamed of. Really. You know, um, we all have mental health. Yes. It's just some of us are healthier than others yes. and unhealthier, yeah. you know, and it's like physical well. health. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, mental health issues and depression is also very, very strongly linked to neurodiversity. Yeah. And there's just different things that you need to think about. And I think, I said at the beginning of the year, I, I think for us at Yuki, um, good workplace culture and mental health in the workplace is going to be a huge issue yeah. for us yeah. going forward as, a, as an industry. Um, and you've got really good examples like Jagex who do mental health awareness training with their managers. Do they? Yeah. Wow. As well as because of obviously their huge online community. Yeah, yeah. They they've they've prevented suicides. You know, wow. we again, unlike any other sector, we are so connected to our community. Yes. And we can respond. And we shouldn't you know, we should take a responsibility for that, yeah, which yeah, we do. Absolutely. So I think it's it's about getting the best out of people yeah. and understanding at the end of the day we are all human yeah. and you've got to you've got to have an organizational structure that flexes with people being people yeah that's right should finish the podcast I think. so I'd like to finish with um, asking you about what sort of what games you're playing and oh. what kind of you know what's your favorite game and all that kind of stuff so what's your favorite game let's ask you that I find that to be the second hardest question after <laughs> what's it like being a woman in the games industry um, you see, I didn't ask you they're that. good I, I noted that thank you yeah I crossed it out just before I asked yeah, you yeah yeah <laughs> but no. I've just asked it uh, no. um, my favorite game it depends what kind of mood I'm in and what kind of mood I want to be in. Yes. So my go-to game when I'm traveling on the tube, because I need something that I can hold with one hand while the other hand holds onto the tube yeah. um, and play with my thumb is Drop 7. Right. Uh, yes. It's been it's absolute, I love it, yeah. because I want to get into that flow state that I'm just sort of switching off part yeah. of my brain and letting the other, getting into that state of flow is really important. Yes. Again, for your mental health. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. Uh, I mean, some of my earlier games I loved were obviously... I had Game & Watch, actually, which was the, oh, the yeah, Nintendo. Yeah. I still got them in my living room. Have you? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I loved Gran Turismo, yeah, SSX great. Tricky, and I loved those games that oh, had... SSX Tricky was great. And I discovered some of my favourite bands through games. Right, yeah, yeah. So music and games, to me, is really important. Yeah. If, if, if a game does not have a good soundtrack, I have to put on Spotify and create my own. Um, wow. So at the moment, I'm also just finishing the the uh, most recent in the room series. They are my all-time. They're brilliant. I've been playing oh. them um, with my daughter, and oh. she gets quite freaked out by it sometimes. Yeah. it is quite freaky, isn't it? It is. But they're beautifully done, aren't they? Absolutely stunning work, yeah, and yeah. by such a kind of neat little studio, yeah, you know, in Guildford. Great. 
And so I love puzzle games like that, like really good quality puzzle games. But then I went through my Pokemon stage, I went through my Animal Crossing. I tend to binge games. So at Christmas, um, after Christmas is the only time that I can take more than one week off. So I literally hermitose, I call it. (laughs) I get out my pajamas and I just recover from a busy year and I just play and play and play and play and play. So I'm more of a fan of um, mobile tablet games mm. because I like multitasking because I'm a woman, you know, it's essentialist nature. Well, yeah, woman. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing some of the games coming out. I have played Fortnite. Uh, Fortnite, I just hid. <laughs> um, but I, I love Fortnite. It's, yeah. not, it's not a game that I've got patience for, but mm. I can watch it. Yeah, and at Yuki we have Play Beer Friday every Friday and again we tend to sort of binge games so we love our local um, co-op games so I make the whole team oh yeah so Overcooked has been our absolute have you not fallen out with each other no it's a great test of of who's on your team I play that in my family and we like end up shouting at each other it is astounding (laughs) and then um, our other go to game at the moment in the UK office is Laser League so we've been playing that every week by Roll7 which is amazing right in like all these games I just want to exist in in physical space in meat space like the room I want to be immersed in that world you know I do want a headset so that I can be immersed in that world yeah there's um, in the early days of when they launched the Vive um, they did a demo of the room did you play that? did they? no it was in VR so you, you saw a ship you went into a room where you saw a ship in VR and then it snapped you inside the ship Oh, wow. And you could hear the creaking of the, of oh, the ship. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, it felt quite low, and the, you know, the whole acoustics oh. of the ship were... I mean, it was incredible. See, so. I mean, I, I, I'm a massive fan of VR. Yeah. I know we're not quite there yet with the with the consumer market yeah, and the yeah. tech, but we've been through that before with phones. Remember our yeah. old phones, oh, you, know, gotcha. God, yeah. you know. So that, that moves very quickly, and I still believe in, in, in virtual reality. I was a massive um, Second Life fan huge. I spent two New Year's Eves in Second Life in a giant martini glass. <laughs> I was blue with white hair. <laughs> and it, I just loved it. I hung out yeah. and met some of my best friends in there. Oh, that's cool. But, you know, I think, like, VR, my favourite VR game, um, uh, which I've played a few times, is Gorn. Oh, I don't think I've played oh, oh, I know that one. That's the one with the You're in cartoon. a gladiator, yeah. cartoon gladiator yeah. arena. Yeah. It is so intense. I really want to play Lightsaber, and we haven't managed to download that yet because um, we're sort of locked out our PlayStation account. Is that Star Wars Island? Yeah, the Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, is that on the, I think it's on the Vive that's now. Yeah, it's on PSVR yeah. now, I think. Oh, is it? Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, well, I need to download we're that locked, when I get back then. Locked out our PS4. Yeah. Oh, no. If you're listening, Sony, help. Help, the locked out. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that's it. It just depends on what mood you're exactly. in. It's like. It's like film, TV, yeah. books, anything. Yeah. I stay away from sad things, you know? Yeah. I don't like sad things. So. No, me, me not, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, there's, um, especially now I've got, a, well, you know, I've got a daughter and I just, anything, anything to do with, like, children, mm. I just can't. Did you play that Dragon No, Cancer? I didn't. Oh. And I know journalist friends who have, and yeah. one particular journalist friend, uh, after playing that Dragon Cancer, had to go outside and cry because oh. he was so affected by it. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can understand, you know, how how amazing that game is and, and what it does, but I, I just couldn't play it. Yeah, I, I get just it. I mean, it. I think that's what. It's too heartbreaking. It is, and that's what games are so good at. And, and people say that, oh, you know, 
people still saying whether games are, you know, questioning whether games are an art form. Oh, I mean, I mean you know, I don't, I don't have any ridiculous. time for that question anymore. Yeah, I know. You know? Yeah. It's like saying, is the sky blue? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that the right question? I don't know. You know what I mean? And it is today. It is today, very blue. Yeah, it's beautiful. But, but that's what is so exciting, again, about the future of the industry. We're, yeah. we're, I'm very involved in BAFTA and the Young Game Designer competition is one of my mm. favourite things and I just cry constantly <laughs> when I'm at that ceremony and um, it's an amazing competition and it's so wonderful to see these 10 year olds, it's two categories, 10 to 14 and 15 to 18, but these, the future of not just the games industry but yeah. how we tell stories, how we express ourselves, they're using games in order to deal with loss or to deal with mental health issues, to deal with depression, because wow. that's the way they want to tell stories or express Amazing. themselves. And they've been brought up with games, because yeah. like you say, you know, like my, my first game was Pong as well, and you know, that was when I was like 9, 10, whereas, yeah. you know, they've grown up with, with been surrounded by games. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why I think it's important that we continue with the message to other creative industries and to government that we deserve support, just like yes. the film industry and TV yeah. industry. The TV has BBC and public service broadcasting. Yes. We deserve something equivalent or don't do it at all because, yeah. you know, we are, you can't just tell kids in school now that the only way to tell a story or a meaningful story or an impactful story or a fun story is through the media, is through one medium. Yes, it's just absolutely. nonsense. Yeah, it is. You know, that's not innovative. No. That's not inspiring innovation. Absolutely. Well, Thank you, Dr. Joe Twist, OBE. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, it's been fantastic, and uh, enjoy the rest of Gamescom, and uh, yeah, thanks very much. Thank you. That's it for our second Game Republic podcast. Thanks again to Dr. Joe Twist OBE for taking part. You can find us on Twitter at Game Republic and on GameRepublic.net to find out more about the network and how we can help you and your games company and get access to our events. Please do uh, send in your suggestions for guests as well for this podcast. You can uh, tweet us or uh, there's a contact form on the website. Thanks to Autodesk for supporting the network and this podcast. You can check out autodesk.co.uk for information on their fantastic tools for making games such as uh, Mayor LT. That's it. We'll have another podcast, I'm sure, in the next few months. So thank you, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.